0: So, I want to today, we're going to um, together uh, for this uh, symbolic meal known as the Lord's Supper today, and I want to walk with you today through Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, which is, of course, the famous passage where um, God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. As we think about Um, The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and what that means for us today So Genesis 22 we'll read this uh, together and uh, walk through it uh, together One of the highlights of the Old Testament scriptures Genesis chapter 22 beginning at verse 1 after these things God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham and he said "Here here I am He said take your son And as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice so abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to beersheba and abraham lived at beersheba amen let's pray quickly together and ask god's blessing upon his word Holy Spirit, we look to you today because you are the one promised, sent from the Father and the Son to teach us and lead us into the truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, today that you, God, that you would teach us, lead us into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, enlighten our eyes, convict us and convince us of this truth, and bless your people, and open the eyes of those who do not yet see, for Christ's sake, amen. Well, if you know the story of Abraham in the Bible, you'll know that Abraham is a very central and important figure in the history of the pages of scripture. Abraham is, uh, well, originally begins as Abram. He comes from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he is called by God out from among his people, out from his kindred, out from his native land to a place that the Lord will show him and the Lord promises to make of him a great nation and to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham so Abraham is here he leaves he goes to the land of Canaan you know the story of Abraham if you've grown up in church you know he gets in trouble in Egypt he gets in trouble with Abimelech here he he lies about his wife is he says she's my sister um, because he's afraid of uh, what others around him will do he's not perfectly trusting who the lord is and who the lord has promised to be to him you remember that god had promised abraham a son and that son did not come quick enough so that abraham and his wife eventually to come up with a plan to uh, bring about this child and this child of course is known as ishmael And we know how that works out. Ishmael is born, but then eventually God says, no, 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 no. I will bring about the child that will be the promised one through whom all the nations will be born. And God gives Isaac to them. He's born and eventually Ishmael is cast out, you know, and Isaac now is the one through whom all of these promises of worldwide international blessing will come. He is the one to whom the nation from whom the nation will spring. He is the covenant heir. He is the one who's going to inherit all of these things. So, while Ishmael is Abraham's blood son just as much as Isaac is, Isaac is the only son in the sense in which he is the legitimate heir to all of the promises that have been given to Abraham. And God says, through this one, you're going to have offspring as many as the stars in the heavens. A multitude that you cannot count. Well, it's here then that we come to chapter 22. When God comes to Abraham, And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham, tested Abraham. Now, what is a test? And this is what I want to look at today with you through this passage of Scripture is the Christian's test or the believer's test, and to see through Abraham what it looks like when God tests us and also how this points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, God comes to us and he tests us, doesn't he? If you're a believer in Jesus, you know that through many trials and temptations and tests you go through. A test is like an examination, right? When you're in school, you take all kinds of various tests. You might take a spelling test, and the purpose of that test is, of course, to see what you've memorized and learned in your mind. I would guess that most teachers do not give an examination, hoping that their students will fail it every time, right? Your hope is that what I have taught them, they will prove that they know and that it is in them through the examination, right? That's what we hope. The point is to bring what is on the inside and bring it outside, to prove the reality of what is on the heart and in the mind and show it visibly, And that's what a test is here when it says here that God tested Abraham God is not hoping and trying to lure Abraham into sin but what God is doing is God is putting him under an examination so to speak he wants to see here whom does Abraham fear who does he respect who does he trust What is is the inner core convictions that Abraham has? Now, of course, God knows what is in Abraham's heart, but he wants to draw it out for all of us to see as well. He wants to see when all of the chips are down, whom Abraham will trust. And so God comes to Abraham, summons him by name, and says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am, And then God gives him this amazing statement. He says, Abraham, take your son. Take your only son, Isaac. That that son that you love. The son that you delight in. The son that you take pleasure in. The son that is so precious to you. I want you to take that one. The only one you've got left because you've already sent Ishmael away. I want you to take that one and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and there I want you to offer him to me as a whole burnt offering. A whole burnt offering is different from simply a sacrifice. A burnt offering here has the idea that not simply because, you know, sometimes in the Old Testament, the priest could sacrifice part of an animal, but the rest was to be kept for the priest's right to eat. A burnt offering here means it all belongs to God's consuming fire. It all belongs to him. I want you to take that son, put him on an altar, and deliver him wholly to me. The first thing that comes whenever we are tested as believers, as Christians, as Father Abraham was, is that God looks like our enemy. Have you ever felt that way? God, you've given me all these promises. You told me what's true. You've told me who I am. You've told me what to do and what blessing will come if I follow you. Why are you now my enemy? God, you've told me that this is the son that you delight in. This is the the Isaac, this is the one you gave. The covenant heir, the one that you told me was the one to receive all the promises. But now you want me to slit his throat and burn him completely as a sacrifice to you. How would you feel? God tests his people when he seems to go against his promises. He seems to contradict himself. If you walk the Christian journey, you know that this is exactly what happens. Think about Job. Job was a believer. Job was trusting in the Christ to come. And yet it looks like Job, righteous Job, he looks like God is punishing him for some horribly wicked thing. And yet we know all along in that story, right? Job has done nothing wrong. Why is a good man suffering? God has promised to bring forth Abraham's savior from this child. He's promised to bless the world through this child. And Abraham's waited and waited for this boy. Old Abraham was given Isaac miraculously. And he loves Isaac dearly. He looks at Isaac and he says, this boy's a keeper. And God says, I want you to take that child. That's the keeper. That's the special one. And I want you to kill him for me. Is God taking back his gift? Have you ever felt that way? God's taking back everything he's given. And remember, Abraham was supposed to be God's friend, we're told. Remember, I thought God was the judge of all the earth. Remember Genesis chapter 18 and Abraham says, you're the judge of all the earth, won't you do what's right? How can this be right? Why would it be right to kill Isaac? Where is justice in this? I thought what God was Abraham's gracious master who loved Abraham and who treated him with grace, but this right here does not look like grace. Have you ever felt that way? I thought I was a child of God. That's exactly what Satan comes and tempts us to, doesn't he? He tempted Christ. If you are the son of God, make yourself some bread. Because if you really were God's child, he wouldn't let you suffer like this. And yet God says, Isaac is going to die. How would you reconcile Isaac will be blessed with Isaac has to die? Well, like you and me, Abraham is facing tough questions. How do you respond when God seems to contradict his promises? What do you think about God? Do you trust him? Do you trust his heart so completely that even when it doesn't make sense, you trust his character? or do you start to get suspicious of God? Makes me think of that song that Elvis Presley says, right? We we can't go on together with suspicious minds. Um, you, You cannot live the Christian life with a suspicious mind of God. Do you trust his heart when you don't understand even what he's doing? You are called to trust And obey, But what do you do when it seems that God is not your friend but your enemy? Do you expect God to keep his promise? Will we trust God? Will Abraham trust his own reasons? Where does Abraham's loyalty lay? Whom does he really feel? Because you know what? Previous to this, when Abraham has been put into tough situations, you know what Abraham's done? He schemed. He schemed every time. Goes to Egypt, he's afraid of Pharaoh. He lies about who his wife is. He wants the child to promise, he and his wife decide to scheme and figure out a new way to help God along, fulfill his plan. They go to Abimelech, right? They're there, they're afraid again, even after they're told again about, God's going to send Isaac, you're going to have a son. What do they do? They scheme and lie again. Will Abraham lie and scheme and try to get around and try to uh, figure out another way to, to get around God's clear command? What is in his heart? Whom does he fear? God seems to be our enemy when we're tested, doesn't he? He seems to be, but he's not. Secondly, whenever we're tested like Abraham was, like our father Abraham was, we need to see what Abraham does. God is to be obeyed, and this is amazing. So Abraham rose, in verse 3, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Abraham gets up, saddles his donkey, cuts the wood, takes Isaac and the two servants with him. Now, there's, there's a lot that we don't know here, and I wonder what it was like the night before they left. Did Abraham get a lot of sleep that night? Did he cry, did he pray? Did he get up and walk outside? Did he look at the same stars that years before in Genesis 15, God had said, Abraham, look at the stars and count them. I'm gonna give you as many offspring as you can count those stars. Did he go out and look at the stars and think, how can this happen? How can God make this work? Did he look at Isaac, his boy, as he slept? And realize something, God was gonna have to do something here. But how does Abraham respond to God's word? It's beautiful. He does not delay. He does not question God. He's learned through a long, hard life that while he has many questions, he is satisfied with who God is. He will trust the heart of his father. He gets up early in the morning. That's a significant point. We're told he got up early in the morning. He's not lazy or slack. God said, go do this. Abraham was prompt. Got up, saddles the donkey himself. Notice he doesn't simply say, have the servants do it. He himself saddles the donkey. He himself is said to chop the wood for the burnt offering. Abraham does this. He takes Isaac with him. He cuts the wood and goes. On the third day on the trip, they take a a decent trip, and, and this would have further been even more of a trial, right, as they walk for days to Mount Moriah, to the land of Moriah. And... As, as they walk there, you could imagine Abraham with Isaac, three days of traveling together, talking together, maybe even laughing together. There's a song that's all about this, this instance from Andrew Peterson. And it opens up with these words, wake up little Isaac, rub your tired eyes, go and kiss your mama, we'll be gone a little while. Come and walk beside me, come and hold your Papa's hand. I go to make an altar and to offer up my lamb." I can't imagine seeing my son, talking with him, laughing with him, looking at the sights with him on that way to the sacrificial place. We would wonder if Isaac knew this trip was a special trip. Abraham ever wanted out, this was the opportunity. He could turn around anytime he wanted to and go back to Beersheba and he could say, I can't do it. And who among us would be able to say, yeah, I couldn't do that either. But Abraham doesn't do that, does he? He's learned to trust God so completely in his grace and in his power. Eventually he gets to the mountain, they travel, and he gets to the place, he sees the place from afar and tells his servants, you guys stay here. Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there. We will worship, and notice what Abraham says. We will return to you. We, not I, we will return to you. Wow. Me and Isaac will go to the mountain, and somehow, some way, I will return with Isaac. We're told in Hebrews, Abraham knew that God was able to raise the dead. So trust in God. Well, they go, they prepare together, beginning there in verse six, they take the wood of the burnt offering. He lays it on Isaac, his son. He takes in his hand the fire and the knife and they go both of them together up the mountain together. Old Abraham with his young, relatively young son, the wood that they had split just a few days earlier. we, we can't help but wonder if Abraham had used this same knife before. Maybe this was the same knife. This was the sacrificing knife that had been used on countless lambs before when Abraham built those altars. He walks up with the knife in the fire. And as they walk up to the place, Isaac brings up something to his father in verse 7. He says, Dad, my father. And Abraham says, yes, my son, here I am, my son. And Isaac, as they're going along, can't help but notice something. (laughs) We forgot the most essential part of this sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb at that we're going to use the knife on? Maybe he thought this all along. Isaac probably has seen or helped his father with the sacrifices or before, but he knows, Isaac knows this. He knows the sacrifice is a picture of God's salvation. He knows that sacrifices are a picture of a substitute who is to come. He's heard through Father Abraham about the fact that God had promised international blessing through them for all the world. And he knows that God long ago had said, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. Or crush the serpent, I should say. Crush his head. He knows this. And so he says, Dad, here's the fire. Here's the wood. But Dad, we need a lamb for the burnt offering. Where is the lamb at, Dad? Where is he located at? Did we forget him? Well... You can imagine how Abraham felt when Isaac asked this question. Abraham knows that God has declared that Isaac is to be the offering. But I also wonder if in his own mind, Abraham had the same question. I've got the same question, Isaac, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb at? Son, notice what he says. God will provide. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know why this is happening. But this I know. God has promised me you blessing, forgiveness of sins, a savior to come. Somehow, some way, God will Provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He will deliver on his promises. He will be there and give what is needed at the right moment. That's what it takes whenever we're being tested, doesn't it? God looks like our enemy, but will we count on God's character even when it seems the whole world is against us? Now, it's interesting. Abraham does not tell Isaac where the lamb is located about that, right? He does not tell Isaac that he is to be the lamb. He's saying, I do not know how God will provide. I do not know when God will provide, but this I do know God will deliver. He is faithful. He will see to it because Abraham has learned this, if he's learned nothing else, that this God is able to do all things. That's what he said, right? I know in Genesis 18, I know that you can do all things. You are the judge of all the earth. He's learned from God's rebuke to to him, remember? In Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham knows that he worships the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things which do not exist. This God who created the world out of nothing, this God who called light out of darkness, this God who brought forth a child from Abraham and Sarah when they were both as good as dead. This God is able to do all things beyond which we could ever ask or could ever think. And this God has promised me. And Abraham is saying, I will hope in God. Do you see how Abraham's faith puts us to shame so often? Do you see how he trusts Abraham? This is not a game to Abraham. The Christian life is not a game. This is real life. Abraham expects God to deliver on his promises. Now, we can't reconcile these things. I don't know why horrible things happen in each of our individual lives. Our natural minds cannot understand all of these things. But Abraham says, I'm putting my own thoughts, my own human reason away. He puts to death his human understanding. And in its place, Abraham says, I will trust God alone. Abraham is saying, though God tells me to slay my only son, yet I will hope in him. One writer, this is Martin Luther, I believe, says about Abraham. He says, Abraham thinks, I am reducing my son to ashes. Nevertheless, he is not dying. Indeed, those ashes will be the heir. somehow some way so they go together they continue together father and son up the mountain Abraham prepares the altar and prepares to slaughter Isaac in verses 9 uh, through 10 they come there they build the altar perhaps get some rocks together a rough altar uh, together the place that God had told them Abraham obeys God to the very last detail, doesn't he? And this is a good reminder to us about our worship as well. Our worship is not there for whatever pleases us. We should follow follow Father Abraham and obey God's details to the smallest that he gives us. He builds an altar at the exact spot abraham obeys god's revealed will he goes to the exact place that god had chosen and when he gets there he builds the altar throws some rocks perhaps together and we have to assume that eventually abraham tells isaac about god's command here and notice it's beautiful we don't read of any kind of opposition on isaac's part isaac is a healthy young man right now right and abraham is a very old man He could have taken on his father or gotten away or run away if he had desired to but here on the top of the mountain the will and the hearts of father and son are at one together the father says I was told to slay you my son the son submits and says yes father I have come to do the will that God gave to us Abraham lays the wood in order. Notice, the, don't pass by these words. He's arranging it specifically for the worship of his God, preparing it. Then he takes his son, his only son, the delight of his eyes, the joy of his heart, the one who looked up to him, the son that he held when he was born, the son of promise. He takes this son that he had waited for for so long and he binds him, maybe with rope. And he takes his beautiful son and lays him right there on the altar on top of the wood that he has carefully arranged. I wonder what was going through Abraham's mind about verse 10. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine that? Was he scared? Oh, well, I'm sure he must have been terrified because in order to sacrifice his son, he's being called to slit the throat of his beloved son. He's been called to do this and then to burn him into ashes, to give that which is most precious to him over to God. And in a sense, Abraham here is dying just as much as Isaac is. But because he trusts God's promise alone, Abraham is is being transformed through this examination. The great reformer, again, Martin Luther writes, it would have been more bearable for Abraham to die a natural death even seven times, rather than be an onlooker, yes, the slayer of his son. Thus, both are killed, since they see and feel nothing else than death. Abraham pulls the knife, reaches out the blade, takes hold of the knife, puts it to the throat of his son and his son breathing the breath of life. And Abraham is ready. His intention is to go through with it, to obey the voice of God and to slit his son's throat. But then at that exact moment, Not only does God seem to be our enemy, not only then must we follow our father Abraham and obey and trust in our Lord to the last moment, but then God rips open the heavens and shouts from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy. do not do anything to him here is the reason why i now know that you fear god i can see that you reverence me i can see that you trust me i can see that you are submissive to me this was clear that you trust me so completely that you did not hold back your son from me you did not spare your son your only son from me the test is over And God's assessment of Abraham the test reveals that God Abraham fears God you see God takes note when we trust him he takes note and he sees it when we fear him more than anything in this world there's a book that's come out about the fear of God and I believe the tagline points out about how uh, or at least the description of it says that we're so afraid of everything in this world perhaps because we're not afraid of God maybe that's the case. Perhaps we're so scared when we watch the news or read the paper or look online about everything in the world because we've not learned to fear the one we should fear and trust in more than anything else, our God. Lastly, God, or not lastly, but here God provides for us just like he provided for Abraham. Abraham lifts up his eyes, looks over, and behold him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham goes over, takes his son Isaac from the altar, unbinds him, and you can imagine Abraham being full of gratitude. God did provide. God kept his promise. At one moment, Isaac is as good as dead, and then at another, it's like Isaac has been risen from the dead. Abraham takes the ram, And the same knife that should have gone down on Isaac goes down on the ram. And the ram becomes a substitute in place of Isaac. Abraham decides to call the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. And then God swears by himself at the very last An angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and shouts to Abraham another message. By myself, I swear, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not held back your son, your only son, I will most certainly bless you and I will most certainly multiply your offspring. They will be as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth obtain blessing for themselves. All this because you listened and obeyed my voice. God here shows forth his love and his goodwill towards us. He wasn't simply speaking for Abraham's sake, but for our sake as well. It would be enough for God to simply tell us that he will save us, that he will bless us. And we know that this would be true because it is impossible for God to lie. But we are so fickle, we have a suspicious mind about who God is, and we are so quick to think that God is lying, we are so quick to think more of ourselves than of God, that God comes to us and swears by himself. Whenever you swear in the Bible, you swear by something greater than you. Because what you're saying is, The thing that is greater than me, the being that is greater than me will judge whether or not I have kept my oath. But who can God swear by? There's no one greater. And so what God is saying is this, may I cease to be God if I ever fail on any of my promises to you. May I cease to be the creator of the world. May heaven and earth fall to shambles. May the universe be consumed before I will ever Ever break my promise to you he swears and he comes to us and says may I cease to be God if I do not keep my word and bless you and send you a savior do you realize what would happen if God would cease to be God but he will not lie to us and then the same oath that he swore to Abraham he has sworn to us and made good 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. God has kept his pledge. He has sent the Savior into the world. We read in Romans eight thirty-two that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us All things you see two thousand years ago our lives changed and the world was different God's son was brought up onto a hill a hill called Golgotha there God the Father so to speak bound his son and he didn't bind him with ropes but with nails and with wicked men there there was no other ram to provide the sacrifice There, there was no one else to stop the knife from coming down. There, there was no other substitute found in heaven or earth or under the earth or above the earth. No one else but the one son that God ripped heaven open for and said, this one is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He's a keeper, isn't he? And God said... Let's go to the hill, son. And the father took the knife of his wrath and slaughtered his only begotten son for us. The knife did not stop then. This and for all time answered Isaac's age-long question, where's the lamb for the offering? He's right there. And he's no longer dead, but he has risen. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he will return to judge the living and the dead. He is in heaven right now. He has been raised up as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness so that all men will look to him and in him find life and forgiveness and reconciliation with God so that all men will be at peace with God through his blood. Right there the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Therefore, all nations have obtained blessing in him. This blessing is for you, friends, to all of you to receive who he is, to welcome him into your hearts, and as believers on top of that, to trust him so completely, so fully that you will look into his heart and see the beating heart of a God who will never fail on his promises. When you see Jesus Christ on the cross, you see the heart of the Father. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never. I am convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's been good to be with you, brothers and sisters. Let's close together in prayer, and then you are dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together and putting us in your family. Thank you for the blood of your Son that was shed for our sakes. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us, to teach us, to indwell us, to make us more like your Son. We pray that as we now depart after being gathered together, that the things that we have learned together, things that we have seen in your holy word, that we've sung together and prayed together, would not simply vanish away from our minds, but would in them and change the way we live, the way we think, and the way we look to you with childlike confidence. I pray that your blessing would rest on your people, that you would empower them, be near them, comfort them, and strengthen them in the coming days and weeks till we re-regather again. For Christ's sake, amen.